Well, good morning, Calvary. How's everyone? How are the box seats up there? Yeah? You rowdy this morning? I need you to be rowdy, okay? I hope you had a great Christmas. I sure did. We've had family in all week, and we've done a lot of fun things together. I'm sort of tired out. I need a vacation for my vacation. You with me? Yeah. My name is Jay Ewing. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. If you're new to Calvary this morning, welcome. Let me be one of the first ones to welcome you. We're sure glad you're here. If you are in with family and you're still making sure your vacation's long and over two weeks, welcome here to Calvary. I'm glad you're here with your family this morning. We've been in a series of Advent, which means the arrival, arrival of Christmas. And there's no better way to end a new year than uh, the end of a year and start a new year than to jump back into the Christmas story. The Christmas story just doesn't end with Jesus being born in a manger. Just doesn't end with uh, those scenes. It continues on. We find the Magi and others that we'll, we'll investigate this morning and find ourselves hopefully in this story. I don't know about you, but we at Calvary have had a great year collectively. 2019, 130 years Calvary has been in existence. That's crazy. That's insane to think about. We've had the 130-day celebration. We had a great kids week, 14 base camp groups. It's just been a pretty incredible year around this building, around what God is doing here at Calvary. And it's a time to celebrate, right? Time to celebrate 2019. And to also look forward to 2020. It has a good ring to it, doesn't it? 2020, it's a good ring. And look forward to what God's going to do in the future. Um, that doesn't mean there were hard, not hard times. 2019 around here, we've lost some key members and people that we love. We've buried people under, unexpectedly. And we've seen friends lose jobs and things like that. But the, today's message is geared to uh, understanding that God is near. God is near. It's a simple message, and it's designed for one objective, to have a moment here together around the Lord's table. The elders and the leadership team thought it would be very fitting to end a decade. Can you believe it? A decade um, around the Lord's table and remembering what Jesus has done for us. And then also preparing our hearts for what Christ wants to do with us in 2020. There's some great things ahead with us going to three campuses and what the Lord might do there. So let's pray and get into God's word together. Sound good? Sound good? All right, let's pray. Jesus, I am so thankful for being here today. Thankful for this Christmas season so thankful for what you've been doing among us, how you've sustained us, how you've kept us. Jesus, I, I'm thankful for getting us through the trying times and family relations and uh, the disappointments we've had this last week. I'm thankful that you have been so kind to walk with us uh, this week when we felt alone or scared, that we, uh, we saw you and we see you moving in our life. Jesus, I'm thankful for opening up your word this morning, the word that uh, shapes and convicts and challenges us. And Jesus, will you take a familiar story, a Christmas story, and really challenge us 
Give us the imagination and the belief and the, the eyes to see what you were really up to, how you were working, how you were moving in this Christmas story. And Jesus, that we would be changed today by being people underneath your word, people who would come to you wanting to hear from you. It's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. So the bottom line this morning is that God is near despite present circumstances. So I can only speak to my last decade because that's the one I'm living, not your decade, sorry about that. But the last decade had been really good to me. I got married in this last decade. I've had kids, I bought our first house. I mean, those are some spectacular things to, to have happen in a decade. There's also been some really hard things. I've lost my grandparents this decade. You know, we, we in fact lost uh, a nephew this last decade. You know, these are the hard things. We buried some really loved ones and people that we care deeply about. And this doesn't mean that this decade, even though I said it's been a great decade, doesn't mean that it hasn't had its times, its moments, the uncertainties, where I felt powerless and uncertain about what my family would be doing or what would we be, uh, where we'd be living. Or even moments where, just to be honest, I felt um, not loved or cared for and alone. There have been moments in this decade like that too. It hasn't always been roses and sunshines and rainbows and unicorns. However, I think to sum up this decade, I think of what I've learned, where I've really taken to heart, is God is dear despite present circumstances. And what we're going to learn this morning in uh, a Christmas story, a familiar two verses, actually, three verses is that God was near then too, in those present circumstances. God was near in the, uh, the story he was telling a long time ago in the first century. And I'm excited to get into Matthew 2 and pick up the story where the gospel writer is telling us this really important story about who this Christ child is and how important he is. Matthew 2, verse 13. If you want to flip your Bibles there, you can flip your Bibles there. If you want to grab a Bible in front of you, there's Bibles in front of you. Just get the larger, thicker one because the smaller one has like ants on the page that run, the small letters. Or get on your phone, check your Twitter feed before you check to your Bible app. I get it. I get it. But we're in Matthew 13, and it reads like this. Now when they had departed, behold, angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. And he remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophets. Out of Egypt, I called my son. We learn three major aspects of God being near in this story, this familiar story. A story where the Magi have come and now Mary and Joseph are possibly heading back to Nazareth after being in Bethlehem and the angel of the Lord visits 
visits Joseph. And we learn three just really key aspects of this story. First one is God is near the powerless. If you look in verse 13, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in the dream and said, rise. Now, let's, let's put ourselves in Joseph's shoes, okay? It's been a crazy couple of months. It's been a crazy year for him. In fact, he was about to get married. He was excited about that. And then she was with child. And then he was thinking about divorcing her quietly because he was a righteous man, the Bible says. And then the angel of the Lord says, no, 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 no. This, this is going to work out. And then they go to Bethlehem, have a child, not in a room, not in a nice hotel room, not in a hospital, but in a stable. In these first few weeks, would have been just wild for him to be there. The ability for Joseph to really provide for his family, to, to be the, the provider in the household, the head of the household. And in this moment, Joseph seems pretty powerless, doesn't he? Herod is out to kill the boy because the Magi didn't return. And the only way Herod knows how to kill children under two is to send some guys to Bethlehem and slaughter all the newborn children that are under two. This powerful man is after them. In fact, Herod, a little backstory of Herod the Great, he was put in charge by the Romans after the Romans had sacked Jerusalem and taken over about 60 BC, 60 in those, those years. And Herod was put in charge because he was a different type of leader for the providence of Jerusalem and Judea. He was part Jewish and part Herodian. So he knew how to play to the religious crowd of Jerusalem, the really important religious crowd of Jerusalem, and then also to the political crowd of those surrounding area. And Herod had come to power the only way first century men come to power. Cheating, death, violence, lying, stealing, robbing, rewriting history. Sounds pretty peaceful, doesn't it? That's the only way these men came to power. And Herod was a wicked man. The Bible tells us. And now he is the most powerful man in the region, and he's coming after one kid, and that's Joseph's. But we learn that God is near even when we feel powerless. Because God is powerful. And so he sent an angel of the Lord. He's the only one who can send the angel, right? He's the only one in charge of actually this creation. He knows that he's put Herod in place. He knows what this story is going to do. He knows how this is going to work. And this man who's really powerful at the time, 2,000 years, is powerless. And this man who was powerless at the time held in his hand the most powerful man in history. Pretty amazing, isn't it? I don't know about your 2019 or your last decade, but there's been moments I felt powerless. Moments in which I thought, how is this going to work out? There is nothing in my power to pull this off. And what we have to realize is in those moments, 
That's where God shows up the most powerful. When we are powerless. When we have no other option. He shows up. The second aspect we see in this story is God is near the uncertainty. In verse 14 and 15, he says, he rose and took the child and his mother by night. So he listened to the angel because I would listen to an angel and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. Imagine a young husband traveling about 80 miles to the border of Egypt. He's a refugee. He's one of the ones you see on the news. Fleeing a country and fleeing this powerful man. And the uncertainty of what the next day will hold, what the next minute or second will even hold, is almost palpable when you hear the story and understand and imagine the story. He takes his child and they flee. And they wait until the death of this powerful Herod. There was a time in this decade where I lost my job and I was unemployed. And I had a really good friend take me out to coffee and he took me out to coffee and he bought because I was unemployed and he's a good friend. Just thankful for that. And we sat down and we were drinking coffee and he says, Jay, he said the most profound thing in this uncertain time. I mean, I had a, a two-year-old and a newborn. And I didn't know what was next for the family. And he sat down and he said, Jay, let me tell you this. It was the most life-giving comment he could have given. He said, Jay, do you know the God of creation, the God who formed your wife and your kids in the womb, loves them more than you do? And if he loves them more than you do, he's going to take care of them. And it was the most profound statement through that whole uh, unemployment time. Because I kept banking on the character of God. The character that he would show up. The character that he was near. The character that he would provide because he loved my kids and my wife more than I did. And in the uncertainty of life, we're called to trust in the character of God. I remember the great proverb says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. And part of that trusting is trusting in the uncertainty and seeing that God is near. God was near to Joseph in that time. In fact, Herod died of a really horrific disease and you should Wikipedia today because it's pretty interesting. And Herod the Great, the man, the most powerful man after this helpless baby was dead. In the uncertainty that Joseph lived in, we get to see that God was near. The third observation is God is near the unlovable. Verse 15, and it remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophets. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, if you're Matthew, let me take a little rabbit trail here. If you're Matthew, you're the 
you're the gospel writer Matthew. You're writing to a Jewish audience. If they have heard this prophecy, out of Egypt I call my son, they would have probably, if you had been a good Jewish boy or girl in their studies, they would have known where it, come, it had come from. It had come from the book of Hosea. Now, Hosea has a really interesting story. Hosea was a prophet, he, and he had to do one thing. He was called by God, get this, to marry an unfaithful wife that would be unfaithful through their whole marriage and to stay faithful to her. He was called by God to do this. Now you're thinking, that's crazy, isn't it? That's just insane. But to the, the, Israel, to the Israel audience, this was a prophetic symbol of their unfaithfulness to God and God's faithfulness. And so if you read the book of Hosea, you realize that there's something happening here. God continues to remind them that they are unfaithful and that he is faithful. That they will walk away, but he will stay. That they are unlovable, but he loves them. And at the end of Hosea, there's this beautiful picture in which God tells them, out of Egypt, I will send my son. Now, how many of you enjoyed in 2019 the, the trek through Exodus we did here at Calvary? It's pretty cool, right? Pretty fun to get into the life story of Moses. And if you haven't been around Calvary that long, you should start from the beginning. Thomas does a fantastic job walking us through the book of Exodus. And what we see in the book of Exodus is, is a Moses. Moses coming and being born in Egypt and coming out of Egypt. But does Moses receive the promised land? No. And what Matthew here, and what most scholars believe about Matthew, what he's doing here, is that he is pointing to a greater Moses. A Moses who would come out of Egypt, but would get us to the promised land. A Moses who would come to the unfaithful and be faithful. A Moses who would really change the course of the history of the world. And the people of God would really become the people of God because they had a perfect Moses. He's a type. And he's pointing back to the type of that Jesus is the better Moses. How cool is that? That Jesus would complete what Moses couldn't do. Get you and I into the promised land. Fulfill the great covenant that God had made with us. Even when we were unlovable. I love that verse where the writer says, he loved us before we first loved him. And it reminds me that even when we feel unlovable and unwanted, even when we feel that we aren't worthy of for God to do something in our own lives, he shows up and he's near. And we get to look not to a, a baby that's stuck in Egypt, but to a Christ who comes out of Egypt and saves humanity and saves you and I 
even before we ever knew him. That's incredible. If that news doesn't inspire a great 2020, I don't know what will. That the Christ was powerful and certain and loved us. And in the Christmas story, a story that is so familiar, we see God move. And we see that God is near. I don't know about you, but in 2019, we had some challenges. One of my great joys in 2019 is I, I, there's a Bible study that meets on Thursday morning, a group of men. And it's just been an incredible year for these, these men. It's been one of those unique years in Bible studies. It's just been a joy to be a part of. There's been seasons when uh, it's just been rich and deep and encouraging. And then this year, as we closed in the year, we had two guys go through really hard things. One guy had been unemployed and still was looking for employment. And another guy received news that he had a brain tumor. And I remember in November getting around these two men and praying so powerfully, praying so faithfully, praying so hopeful that God would do something great in their lives that God would show up, that God would just reveal himself in unique and powerful ways. And before the end of the year, everything would be put to right. I'll confess to you, it's probably the most powerful prayers I've ever prayed in my pastoral life. Desperate to see God move. And you know what happened in those prayers? He didn't answer them the way I wanted them to. And the disappointment with God, the disappointment that he didn't show up the way I wanted him to. And then in the Christmas season, I ran across this story. And it takes a little imagination and it takes a little digging. But you realize that Joseph doesn't need God to show up. God's already there near and I realized in my own life and heart God didn't need to show up he was already near despite the present circumstances and so I've understood the Christian journey the Christian life is not about asking Jesus to show up does he love for you to ask him yes he does but it's not about him showing up But to practice seeing Jesus is already near. He's already near. In the Christmas story, the powerless actually holds the powerful. The uncertainty is actually certain. And the unlovable world is actually being loved by the Christ child who would come. And he was near. And so the Christian life is about practicing seeing Jesus already near. 
And so we read the word and we pray and we, we get into community and we, we share what's, what's going on in our lives and we pray together and we encourage one another because we got to practice seeing that Jesus is already near and he's already shown up. And you and I, and especially myself, need to be encouraged by that, that Jesus is already near. And in 2020, may we see God is near. There's a famous, in one of my favorite children's uh, book series, The Chronicles of Narnia. I love The Chronicles of Narnia. It's C.S. Lewis's telling of sort of the Christian journey and the Christian faith, but done through children's literature and books. And it's a fantastic read. And in this, these books, there's a character who's Lucy, and she's just like her name sounds. There's a really cute, adorable uh, girl. And in the first book, she's sort of uh, one of the first ones to believe that Aslan, the, the lion, who's the Christ figure, it says who he is, and she believes him and trusts him. And it turns out to be a wonderful story. And in the second book, Prince Caspian, Lucy comes back into the story of Narnia, even though she doesn't think she's going to be able to because she's getting too old. And in Narnia, there's this famous line where she sees Aslan, the great lion, once again. And he says, welcome, child, he said. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger that's not because you're older, little one, answered he. Not because you, you are? I'm not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. May in 2020, we find Christ bigger. May we find his power bigger, the certainty of his story bigger, the love bigger. I don't know about you, but I need that. If you're helping with communion, will you come forward? As we transition the room to communion, I can't think of a better way to, to celebrate the closing of a decade and the opening up of a new year. Christ's coming into the world and giving us the ordinance and the symbols of communion that you and I get to participate in declaring to the world, declaring to each other, declaring to our own selves that we know Christ is bigger. So let's do that together. Let me pray. Jesus, I'm so thankful for how you're moving in our world. When I don't see you and where you're at and ask where you show up, that you were already near. That your story is way much larger than the story of my own life. And that Jesus, you proved it by giving us yourself. For becoming obedient even to the point of death. And having your body broken. Your blood shed. 
so that we would see, Jesus, that you are near. Give us the trust and the hope to believe. And may we praise you, glorify you, and think of you. And may you become bigger. It's in your name I pray.